You might be right. It's simple, but something you almost never hear in politics today, with each side more concerned about scoring political points than solving problems. I'm Bill Haslam, a Republican. And I'm Phil Bredesen, a Democrat. We're former Tennessee governors, and we invite you to listen to our podcast, You Might Be Right. Join us and guests like Al Gore, Paul Ryan, Judy Woodruff, as we take on important issues facing our country. Listen and subscribe to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee. When it comes to buying your first home, everyone has questions. Can we even afford to buy a house right now? Well, I need to negotiate. How do I even negotiate? Luckily, a REMAX agent has answers. Hey, Brian, those are really good questions. They are? Thanks. It's my first time buying. I work with first-time buyers all the time. I got you. REMAX agents have more experience than other real estate agents. Visit REMAX.com or download the REMAX app to find the right agent. The right agent can lead the way. Each office independently owned and operated. Sometimes our commander-in-chief, ideally upholder of the law, fails to inspire us. Take the 1970s. Well, I'm not a crook. Or the 90s. I did not have sexual relations with that woman. And now the 21st century. I'm an extremely stable genius. You're about to hear two attorneys make sense out of a legal system some say is a train wreck. Here are Royal Oaks and Connor Oaks. This is Too Many Lawyers. This is Royal Oaks. I'm Connor Oaks. And this is Too Many Lawyers. So what is the show about? We talk about the top legal stories of the week. Uh, Too Many Lawyers uh, suggests there are too damn many lawyers on the planet. Most people can agree on that because everybody's run into lawyers they hate, right, Con? Absolutely. And the answer to the problem of there being too many lawyers is two more of them talking to you. That's right. And we are legal analysts, a boomer libertarian. That's me. Connor is a millennial progressive trying to uh, discuss these controversial issues uh, without getting into a food fight. And there are a bunch of controversial issues this week because the U.S. Supreme Court has once again spoken on abortion. We're going to talk about the big Texas decision. We're going to talk about the Jussie Smollett verdict. And uh, also, we are going to get into the issue of the Elizabeth Holmes trial up in San Jose, California. But, uh, oh, and also America's favorite game show, Guess the Verdict. At the end of the episode, as always, Connor will be presented with some facts from a real live case, and he'll be asked to guess the outcome. What was the verdict? Uh, Just to give you a little tease here, this one um, today, it has to do with the case of the devious disco dancer. The case of the devious disco dancer. You, you're interested already. I am. Talcon. So before we get to our top story about the Texas Supreme Court decision out of SCOTUS, uh, a couple of points that uh, I wanted to mention. We've discussed on the podcast, Connor, the issue of whether uh, judges are truly objective or whether they're kind it's of It's come up once or twice, yeah. yeah. A couple of times. I wanted to uh, get into a real-world example of a okay. recent case so we can talk about this, because some folks say that judges are just uh, you know, political hacks and you know there's no real judicial integrity, and other people also say, no, no, no. Chief Justice John Roberts famously said a few years ago there no such thing as an Obama judge or a Bush judge, just hard-working federal judges. So let's go to the California lawsuit over a large capacity ammunition magazines. You remember Ooh, that big dispute? Topic. Yeah, yeah big, big hot topic. Down in San Diego, um, a fellow, he wanted to be able to have a magazine for his uh, semi-automatic uh, rifle uh, that uh, held a lot of cartridges, and so it wound up in litigation. 
So here's what happened, Connor. Recently, the Ninth Circuit had an en banc vote, meaning the entire Ninth Circuit, or at least 11 of the 20-plus judges, they were chosen at random, plus the, uh, the chief judge of the Ninth Circuit, to vote on this issue. Now, why did they get involved? Well, because one side lost in front of a three-judge panel. Uh, and so when the loser says to the court in general, hey, I'd like an en banc relook, second look at this, the court decides they vote yes or no on whether to have a relook. And here the Ninth Circuit said, yeah, we'll, we'll give it a full look with the 11 judges after the three judges voted. Now, the first vote was cast by the trial court judge. Right. And that trial court judge ruled against the restriction on ammunition. So he said guys should be able to have as basically as many cartridges in the machine guns as they want. So that's the trial court judge. Uh, now, so now let's talk about the judicial issue, Connor. The trial court judge was appointed by a Republican president. Okay. And he voted for the gun folks. Sure. The guys that like unfettered But that could be rights. a coincidence. That's could, one could judge. Could be. That's just one judge. Shall we go up to the Ninth Circuit three-judge panel? I guess. Would that be okay? Well, at the, at the Ninth Circuit three-judge panel level, Connor, it was a two-to-one vote in two favor okay. of the gun folks. Okay. They affirmed the trial court judge. Okay. Oh, and let's take a look at the, let's look at the paperwork here. Paperwork. Oh, oh, <laughs> oh t- the two judges who voted for the gun guys yeah. were appointed by Republican presidents, uh, okay. and the one judge who voted against the gun guy who wanted to restrict the ammunition yeah. appointed by a Democrat president. Well, I think that could still be a coincidence. We're only talking three judges yeah, now. Yeah, the trial yeah. court judge and the two, and the three. So that's four judges. Four actually. total, yeah. yeah. So, I yeah. mean, it's not Sample that unlikely. Yeah. Four, yeah. Shall we go to the en banc decision, Connor? Why not? Seven to four. Oh seven my. to four. Oh, let's, let's look at the paper. Oh, my goodness. According to the Wikipedia paper here I have, all seven of the judges who voted against the gun rights yeah. were appointed by Democrat presidents. Huh. All seven of them. Now let's look at the four judges who voted for the gun rights who and you know lost. They're in the minority. Doggone it if they weren't all appointed by Republicans. All four of them. Man, what are the odds? So what? that's the kind of the issue. Uh, should you react to that by saying, man, what are the odds? Or should you yawn and say, well, I knew that was coming. Yeah. yeah did we know it in advance? And if so... What's the point of a, of a an ind, a so-called independent judiciary if every single judge votes just the way his president who appointed him would want him to vote? Yeah, it's definitely a, a problem. I mean, it's it's sort of the the evergreen problem of the American judiciary, and and it's not limited to America. There are other other uh, countries that go through this exact same thing. The majority of them, or all of them, they you have a, a, a branch of government that you would like to be somehow apolitical, somehow to call balls and strikes and not, uh, you know, manifest their their personal political opinions and, and uh, not enact the will of the people who appoint them. But that's just the inevitable outcome of having judicial appointments come from elected officials. And why, for- though? If it's lifetime, why would they feel moored to the person who appointed them? A few Supreme Court justices famously have turned their back on True. their presidents, like are- Earl Warren, like David Souter. Souter, yeah, absolutely. Great examples. But it, it, it's not, I think... I don't think that they're moored to the people that uh, uh, bring them in. Instead, it's that the people who appoint them pick people they know are ideologically pretty pure. And the exceptions are, you know, a few far between and also very notable, like Warren and Souter. These are guys who were appointed by conservatives who migrated over towards the liberal side. I mean, 
I think it's inevitable because humans are political creatures. We have political opinions. We all have, you know, our own perspectives. If you became a Supreme criminal defendants shouldn't have their fate decided through a political lens, though, yeah. the judges should just be totally down the middle. Well, what does down the middle mean? That's the it problem. Means, is it that means political... making the decision you know is right, not the one you know would be favored by the guy who appointed you. Uh, correct. But they probably, given that they were appointed by that guy, they probably agree with that guy's opinions as to what is right. So it ends up being... Every single time, right. decade after decade. It ends that's up being great. that mostly Obama judges uh, think like Obama. And that's not shocking. And mostly Trump judges think like Trump. And that's not shocking. It's, it's an unfortunate reality. And I think the real danger is not having people with political opinions as judges, because that's just reality. That's how human brains work. We get it. The danger, in my mind, is refusing to acknowledge it. It's the way that we pretend that judges just call balls and strikes. The way that we think that there is sort of ethereal, a so superhuman. you think Chief Justice John Roberts is dangerous? Ooh. You can expect a call from the Secret Service. <laughs> so... All right, we're going to have to agree to disagree on this one, like with all the topics yeah, that exactly. we discuss on yeah. Too Many Lawyers. Almost all. Uh, second preliminary item before we get to abortion, uh, the Olympics. Uh, President Biden has announced a diplomatic boycott of the Chinese Olympics uh, the, in China, the Winter Olympics. Lamest boycott ever, okay? Ever, yeah. At least Jimmy Carter wouldn't let... The athletes go. Right. I mean, I'm sure the Chai Coms are, are saying, oh, no, not that. You mean mid-level bureaucratic nobodies won't be coming to, to uh, cheer on the luge people? Oh, no, it's ruined. Yeah. Who? They don't care. Uh, they're they're going to pretend that they care. You're right that they don't care, but... Uh, because the the diplomatic you know, the idea of a diplomatic boycott obviously has no impact. The point of it is that the Biden administration is saying, hey, China, you're doing bad stuff on the world stage. They're saying it now. How much power does that have? How much power would it have if, if Joe Biden came out and gave a speech where he said, hey, uh, the international community has decided that you're committing uh, ethnic cleansing against Uyghurs. It's bad and it has to stop. Hey, you are pumping unbelievable, incredible, you know, shocking, astonishing amounts of carbon and other uh, greenhouse gases and pollutants into the air, and you're killing people, and you're going to doom the planet, and it's got to stop. Are those valuable things to do and say? Yeah, I think they should. He should do it a lot more often. This is just an extension of that. Is it just hijacking the Olympics it's to just, do that? It just yeah, looks it's so lame, though. I mean, a boycott, if they did a real boycott, as Carter did, that really just hurts America and our athletes. It lets all the, the bad guys win all the medals and, right. and brag about it. Instead, why not do what Biden says he's going to do to Russia? Uh-huh. Why not, uh, you know, hit them in the pocketbook? Uh, be willing to stand up to China, even if it means giving up some market share. I mean, in the Russian situation, basically, what what Biden is doing is he's saying all of these oligarchs, they're going to be losing their money, billions in frozen assets around the world. Yeah. That is serious Absolutely. stuff. It's almost like a Republican came up with the idea. I agree that they should uh, take um, uh, drastic economic uh, steps as well uh, to sanction people, as well as making public statements. Although um, there is uh, Uh, There are a lot of unintended consequences with economic sanctions. People have this rosy picture, this view that like, well, we'll just, you know, slap more sanctions on North Korea. We'll just slap more sanctions on Russia or China or Cuba uh, or wherever else we want to, you know, inflict uh, pain. Um, We'll just slap more sanctions on like the people who are running Palestine, who we believe um, fund terrorism, and we'll be able to really target the bad guys with that. No, you won't. Mostly, you'll stop 
random innocent civilians from getting food and health care in those countries. You're starving North Korean peasants, basically. You're starving people who are already Certainly suffering. Certainly the leader has not been starving. I, right. I, I have visual photographic evidence of that. Right. And it, the, the idea of, okay, we'll, we'll have these targeted sanctions that just hit Russian oligarchs' bank accounts. All right. If you can do that, which largely throughout American history, we have not been able to do. Sure. Well done. Great job. Do that. But mostly you're making it hard for you know, Palestinians to get medicine and food. And so sanctions are war. Like if you're putting pressure on a country with economic sanctions, unless you're these, you know, the headline ones, the ones that people say like, oh, North Korean dictator loves scotch and Oreos or whatever. So we're going to ban the import of scotch and Oreos to North Korea. Okay, that's a great headline, but it's not going to do anything. I wonder if he puts them both in a smoothie. (laughs) Oh, God. And you can't really do that anyway. So what we're really talking about, what actually uh, economic sanctions are, is economic warfare. And that leads to people starving and not getting medicine that they need and dying. It's funny you should mention that Will and Ariel Durant, uh, the famous historians who wrote the 15-volume history of the world, uh, published a very uh, slender volume to sort of synopsize at a 50,000-foot level all of their findings. And one of the said war bad. Well, one of the things they said, it was almost that pithy. They said war is a nation's way of eating. Mm. And when you think about it, you know, maybe eating is a a metaphor for just control and and so on. But uh, as you say, sanctions can mean starvation Mm -hmm. and, and, you know. Eating, that's that's, that's fundamental to life. Uh, When we come back, uh, we are going to get into the question of what the Supreme Court Texas abortion ruling means for the future of Roe versus Wade. But first, Connor is going to tell you how to rate and subscribe to Too Many Lawyers. Yeah, check us out on whatever podcast platform it is that you use and make sure that you are subscribed uh, and uh, signed up to get these pods shoved to your phone through the airwaves every week when they drop on Wednesdays. We really appreciate it. It would, you know, boost the numbers, which makes us feel good. Uh, and it makes sure that you get the show promptly because, you know, you're not going to know what's going on with the Theranos trial or SCOTUS or whatever else unless you hit the join or subscribe button. We'll be right back. This is Too Many Lawyers. I'm Royal Oaks. And I'm Connor Oaks. So the Supreme Court weighed in this week, Con, on the Texas abortion uh, law. Uh, Texas's folks know passed a law letting anybody sue abortion providers or folks who assisted abortion providers like Uber drivers, but not the women. You can't you can't sue the patients. Um, the abortion providers uh, didn't take it lying down. They fought back. They sued Texas, seeking a declaration from the court that this law is unconstitutional because, oh, yeah, it violates Roe versus Wade. But the lower court said, well, that suit fails because it's premature. You have to wait till somebody sues a provider of an abortion. You argue uh, in that suit. The provider does. It's unconstitutional. And so, uh, you know, that that's what the law provided. Right. Uh, th- and Supreme Court agreed to let some people sue. That was their ruling a couple of days ago. Uh, a few people uh, may be sued, uh, some state officials, but the main thrust of the opinion by the Supreme Court is they refuse to block the law right. pending a final outcome of the court battles, which will take years. So we have this opportunity, and yet another opportunity by SCOTUS, to say, hey, Texas, you're clearly drafting legislation that is intended, that's the goal, is intended to evade judicial review, right? This law says we can't yeah, sue You're the- weaponizing lawsuits, letting right. people sue, but you're not 
authorizing the governor to enforce the law. And the Supreme Court came to the conclusion that, well, if you're not seeking an injunction against the governor, you can't seek an injunction against the whole world, as the Supreme Court majority put it. But as a result, there's this chilling effect and people aren't having abortions because they don't want to get sued and paid pay ten thousand dollars. Exactly. And the the lawsuit looks like a victory for the pro-choice folks because this because the the, the outcome says specifically, well, abortion providers can file suit and seek relief. They are the injured parties here, the ones who might be sued if this case, uh, if this law stands. And therefore they can, and people are like, oh, that looks like this, the Supreme Court is leaving a way open for this law to be challenged. Supreme Court could have simply kicked the law. They could have just said, it's unconstitutional. Right. You can't try to evade SCOTUS and other courts' jurisdictional review by saying, oh, well, this person's empowered to sue, and that doesn't infringe on this person's right to get an abortion. It's just targeting doctors and, and Uber drivers and everybody else who aids them, and therefore the people who are affected in this situation can't sue, blah, blah, blah. It's obviously, I mean, on its face, the people who wrote the law said, we wrote this law in this way to uh, evade review. I mean, they, they'll admit it uh, over drinks if you talk to them. They've spent decades trying to find ways to overturn Roe v. Wade and give judges an excuse to, you know, to, to, to dance around and throw their hands up and say, I'm so sorry, I can't touch this because of the crafty, uh, you know, schemey way that the law is written. And so Supreme Court, the Supreme Court had an opportunity yet again to fix this, to kill this law, and they didn't do it. And Sotomayor made a good uh, uh, point about this. Um, and, and you know, the, the Chief Justice Roberts um, also made a good point about this in writing the minority opinion, um, where he led a four judge minority. He and the three liberals uh, got together and signed on to this uh, minority opinion where right. they said um, they're they're dodging uh, Supreme Court review. This is a really pro- a, re- a really big problem. And John Roberts even said, look, this threatens the legitimacy of the court. Ding, ding, ding. I would argue that this massively threatens the legitimacy of the court, which is based on public perception that the court will you know, step in to solve problems and has the ultimate authority on things like what is constitutional, how should laws work generally? I mean, that's the like the, the, the layman's view of the Supreme Court is that they're the ultimate law people. And if the law is weird and somebody tries to pull a, a fast one on the law, the Supreme Court can step in and say, this is wrong. This is bad. And John Roberts is correct that this threatens the legitimacy of that institution. Well, who yeah, has and that taking authority. it back to our first topic today, I think it threatens the legitimacy and the confidence in the judiciary. If people get the idea that these folks are wearing black robes, but it doesn't matter that they all wear the same color, they're either going to vote red or blue yeah. based on their presidential appointee. Uh, that, I think, is a kind of a legitimacy that I appreciate being threatened. That, I don't like cloaking their, their politics in black robes and pretending that there's nothing underneath. I think we should recognize yeah, that I'm, there's something. I'm, I'm not arguing in favor yeah. of pretending. Let me shift gears and ask uh, your thoughts on a different aspect of this Texas abortion law yeah. and the Supreme Court decision. I think the law turns people into thugs. Mm. I think it weaponizes lawsuits. And this yeah. is apart from the question of whether, you know, it's uh, under Roe, yeah. you know, it, it should be stayed and so on. Let's talk about what's wrong with it from a process standpoint. Uh, it, it invites disturbed attorneys and clients to become thugs. If you yeah. are a serial killer sitting in prison in Saskatchewan, Canada, yeah. you are entitled to file a lawsuit because some lady in Houston, Texas got an abortion and right. she had an Uber driver and the maniac up in Saskatchewan may sue the Uber driver. Now, that sounds a little far-fetched, but 
it's a symbol having gone through four decades of, of being a litigator yeah. and, and you've been doing it for several years. I think it's a symbol of the fact that some people, when given some power, mm -hmm. if they're kind of disturbed, yeah. will abuse it. Yeah. I mean, the idea of, of, of law, especially litigation, as a, as a wonderful manifestation or element of the social contract is a great idea. The social contract is I'm going to give up a little freedom to the government and the government in return will protect me and be equitable and, and just mm -hmm. and will be secure. And and that's what has, has been so powerful in terms of a revolutionary change in, in, in government of the last 100 years. The, the legal system is a critical element of that social contract. When you have incivility or dishonesty or hyper-aggressive actions by lawyers or clients, we are backsliding. Mm -hmm. We are no better than thugs. We are, we are violating the social contract. And so, I, I mean, years ago, California had this idiotic law that said that uh, somebody could sue if uh, there was some violation of the law, even if he was totally uninjured. Mm. And so, for example, a guy who's never seen a wheelchair and doesn't need one would drive up and down Highway 5 in California measuring the bathroom doors. Right. And if he found somebody that was an inch too narrow, he'd file a lawsuit. And until the law was changed, he yeah. had a right to do that. So lawsuits were weaponized and we ended up you know, increasing the number of frivolous lawsuits. So I think that, that's, that's a... Uh, an aspect of the Texas law that people really aren't talking about uh, that much. Yeah. Maybe it's because, you know, you've got political issues about whether we have too many frivolous lawsuits. There's actually, that's a really good point to bring up, like the difference between those sorts of laws, uh, the, you know, in enforceability of the Americans with Disabilities Act, basically, um, and outsourcing that versus uh, outsourcing um, uh, abortion anti-abortion legislation there the the California law that you bring up is a really good example of um, I think uh, uh, probably what is a bad idea to try to outsource uh, a government bureaucracy to private individuals it's kind of like privatizing the post office their, their thought uh, thought uh, thought process was well uh, these uh, lawyers and individuals with too much time on their hands um, should be the ones bearing the cost of trying to enforce um, the Americans with Disabilities Act because the government it's expensive for them to have to do it um, so that was kind of the motivation and the thought process. And I think it's a bad motivation and a bad thought process. I don't think the idea of privatizing this sort of enforcement is a good idea. But you're right that these are uh, these are two different examples of how um, the the idea of outsourcing the power of the government, handing the power of the government off to private individuals to run around and um, and enforce their view of the law and then see if their view of the law shakes out in courtrooms all over America. Um, it's a bad it's a bad idea. You should not use the, the, the legal system that way to try to be have them be law enforcement. The, the legal system should be there uh, as a as a, a place to resolve legitimate disputes where people don't really know what the law is and try to figure out through civil lawsuits. Uh, oh, dang, we have a disagreement here. We can't come to a settlement. So we've actually got to go to trial. Um, the idea of, of, of using it um, basically to replace cops is, is not a great system. When we come back, did you see the Jesse Smollett conviction coming around the bend? We'll be right back. This is Too Many Lawyers. I'm Royal Oaks. And I'm Connor Oaks. So the Jesse Smollett conviction happened this past week. Um, 
I'll give you my take on it, Connor, and ask if you were uh, kind of surprised by this. I, I think the, the key to the case is that Jesse Smollett gambled and lost. He, he rolled the dice. They came up snake eyes when he decided to testify because he didn't do well. The judge had to chide him for being kind of snarky and evasive, and he wouldn't answer the, the questions. Yeah. Uh, and he didn't explain kind of the two Achilles heels to the case. Number one, what about that $3,500 check you wrote uh-huh. to the guys? Uh, oh, uh, that was for you know training services so i'd be ripped for my music video seemed a little fishy and then the second issue he couldn't explain the surveillance camera it was like the brothers went on a shopping spree they're at cvs i'm gonna have a maga hat i'm gonna have a rope uh, i want a ski mask and uh, you know it was just yeah. so, obvious. so obvious and, and at 2 a.m 30 degrees below oh i'm in the mood for a subway sandwich you know nobody <laughs> lo- makes a hot meatball sandwich like subway in chicago at 2 a.m Give me a break. Yeah. Nothing, and there were no injuries. Doctors examined him and there was virtually nothing except a tiny little scratch. So I, I guess we shouldn't be surprised uh, by a fairly quick guilty verdict. Uh, was there anything sh- odd or shocking to you about it? No. I mean, frankly, it's possible that the jury kind of understood that a guilty verdict on these these charges, which I believe were labeled disorderly conduct, we're not going to be the end of the world for Jesse. Yeah, it's a, it's a weird deal in, in Illinois and some other states. The disorderly conduct heading kind of encompasses things like fake 911 calls and lies to the cops right. about crimes. Yeah. And it sounds disorderly conduct sounds like loitering. Right. Yeah. Uh, or, or, you know, littering yeah. or jaywalking. But it's a little different. And in, I think that uh, a lot of people had this view of like, well, maybe there's going to be maybe there's going to be hesitation on the part of the jury to like throw this guy behind bars and, and lock him up and ruin his whole life uh, as a result of this. But I don't think that the prosecutors overcharged in this case. And the expectation, as I understand it, is that Jesse's probably going to escape without time behind bars. So in the end... It, if that is, you know, is on the table and the jury knows that, even if it's kind of in the back of their mind or sort of subtext, then it seems pretty easy, a pretty slam dunk to, right. to do this. Because I think the only reason that you would ever get a, a, an innocent verdict in this situation, given the facts as presented, uh, is that the jury just kind of has sympathy for a guy who made a really dumb decision and, and right. wanted to be famous. And, and, and they decide, well, let's not uh, destroy him for his choice. But if he's not going to get destroyed by having this on his record, then pretty slam dunk. Yeah. And, and he probably isn't going to serve any time in jail. As you say, uh, the fact that he doesn't have a criminal history and the fact that nobody was hurt. So in some of these cases, people are yeah, injured or killed or whatever. And there's risk of that, of course. Yeah. And here, okay, it's $130,000 in overtime and so on. And they're still going to sue him for that. And maybe he'll have to pay it. But he's probably got millions piled up and he'll, I'm sure he'll uh, end up uh, writing a book or something. Yeah. Um, but generally, so he, he wouldn't do any time. But the interesting thing is there was such a backlash against the perception that he was just lying, 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 that a lot of people in the commentary, and I was you know helping various outlets report on this a couple of days ago, a lot of people are saying, well, he lied. You know, shouldn't he go to jail for perjury? You know, aren't they going to go after him for that? And I, I, it was weird to me that, that this reaction popped up that really hasn't popped up in a lot of other high-profile cases. I mean, when you're on trial, you give your side of the story, yeah. and maybe it's perceived by most folks as a, a big fat lie, but in general, 
you know, the jury just makes up their mind. And if they vote for you, then, you know, they bought what you said. If they vote against you, then they probably thought you lied. But just because somebody gets convicted of a crime doesn't mean that, oh boy, the prosecutor is now going to charge him with perjury yeah. because of stuff on the stand. So it's almost yeah, like people not how were, were really angry at him yeah. uh, and felt that he, he deserves something more, maybe because the idea has sunk in that he's probably not going to spend any time behind yeah, bars. Yeah, perjury is... is um rarely used in these sorts of circumstances i think people think that the, the basically the the punishment for the crime itself is the is sufficient punishment perjury is reserved for situations basically uh where you you couldn't be convicted of the the underlying crime for some reason right lying uh, and the cover-up is often how people uh get got get caught uh looking at you uh martha stewart um, could have just closed your mouth about this whole insider trading thing. But instead, uh, she right. lied and they got her for that. It's always the cover up, right? If you can get convicted for the actual underlying crime, it's rare that you get, uh, you know, prosecuted on top of that uh, for the perjury part, because that's hard to hard to prove. Speaking of controversial, powerful, uh, possibly criminal women, uh, you mentioned Martha Stewart. Let's talk Elizabeth Holmes okay. as our final big uh, topic. Did Elizabeth Holmes pull a Smollett? By testifying. Mm, So here's the background. In case you haven't been following the Elizabeth Holmes uh, matter very carefully, she was a sophomore at Stanford uh, years ago. She dropped out to uh, start a a startup in Silicon Valley. It was called Theranos. And the idea was you give me a a drop of blood from a prick of your finger, and I'll tell you if you've got any of 200 conditions, cancer, HIV, whatever, heart disease. And apparently it was all a big fat lie. It's very valuable to get uh, test results from a tiny amount of blood because drawing blood from people is difficult and expensive and, you know, it's slow and you store the blood and it's it's tough. Being able to do that from just a drop would be revolutionary. It would change the entire medical industry for diagnostic testing. And that's why Henry Kissinger and George Schultz get on the board of directors. Right. The, they raise, she raises a billion dollars. And then it's a house of cards. It falls apart. She would send the, the blood out to, to standard tests and report back that, oh, our fancy new machines really worked. So suits and SEC matters. And now it's unusual for a, a leader of a failed startup to be charged with wire fraud, and uh, but she has been. So she and her co-founder, and this all started from uh, some whistleblowers who, from the inside of the company, said this is a scam. It doesn't right. really work. The tech is not there. They're just sort of keeping the investors uh, going along, fe- feeding them lies. And Elizabeth had to deal with the fact that she was, you know, uh, on trial for wire fraud because she was falsifying documents and making false statements uh, about the 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 technology it wasn't just the normal puffery right. of a of a of a startup that's you know, the key founder. the distinction between norman pu- normal puffery uh i used to know a guy named norman, norman puffery, puffery so yeah, that's why right. i made that mistake <laughs> big big lie right there yeah. um so here that's the background so here's what's next yeah. um the closing arguments are coming up uh, on december 16 the deliberations will begin december 17 uh th- Elizabeth Holmes chose to testify. And the question is, did she lose her gamble? Uh, Your impression, Connor, is that maybe she acknowledged that it was kind of her policy to to bend the truth. Do you think that could be pretty critical in terms of the jury's decision? It could be. But I think it's a it's a risky move that that uh, Holmes and her lawyers felt that she probably had to make that the as we talked about previously on on the pod, 
having your defendant testify in a criminal case, meaning you waive your Fifth Amendment right to avoid self-incrimination. You don't ever have to testify in your own on your own in your own defense in a criminal case. That's what the Fifth Amendment says. I have the right to remain silent. And that extends not just when you're being arrested and they're shouting at you, but also to being interrogated and then also later uh, on the stand in your own defense. And in, in fact, as we saw in the Kyle Rittenhouse case, uh, the, the prosecutor got in hot water for even talking about the fact that Kyle had refused to discuss uh, the matter. Um, you don't have to speak in your own defense, and that's a very powerful uh, element of the of the Fifth Amendment. Here, she chose to, and as in a lot of cases, uh, the defense lawyers and the defendant only choose to do that and go that risky way if they think they're losing. And you know, Elizabeth Holmes, obviously egomaniac, probably narcissist, uh, thinks that she can wrap the world around her finger and do whatever she wants. She did, and made billions of dollars with all these, you know, former world leaders and headshot uh, hot, uh, hot shots uh, on her board of directors. She had a meeting out of the palm of her hand while she spun these they lies. Probably had headshots because they're all pretty famous. Yeah, it's true. Um, they, uh, you know, she probably thinks she could do it again with this juror, with this panel of twelve jurors, these twelve rubes. She's been fooling rubes her whole life, but it is a risky move and it you know it opens her up to attack you know what i thought was kind of weird just from an inside baseball trial uh, perspective the the evidence is in the books uh, already and so now the judge sets the closings for almost a week after the closing uh, after the uh, ending of the evidence so the final weird. argument very weird judges hate it when jurors have to add to the number of days that are taken away from their lives they like to move things quickly so a big delay you know it's nice from the lawyer's perspective to have at least you know a day or two to prepare your final arguments sometimes you're you're forced to uh, to do it immediately or almost immediately upon the close of the evidence but that was kind of weird and i think you know it could be bad for the prosecution because by the time the deliberation starts on december 17 i think the jury will have maybe forgotten about a lot of the testimony i mean the closing will be fresh in their mind from the right. day before, but uh, a week gap is is a little bit odd. Yeah, it is. So, a time for America's favorite uh, game show, Connor. Are you up for this? Always. So, it's called Guess the Verdict. I give Connor uh, the facts of a real live case that he hasn't heard about. That would be cheating. Mm -hmm. And he gets to guess the outcome. Who wins, who loses. So, uh, this, this is uh, the case of the, the devious disco dancer. Are you ready? Yeah, I feel I'm a little removed from disco fever uh, chronologically, well, I so I feel like word, I might. I just added the word disco for fun. It's mainly just a nightclub. Uh, okay, okay. Yeah, well, a, you a know dance me, club. I'm always into club, Absolutely. so I know all about that. Well, let's go clubbing in Delaware. Kara okay. Walton uh, tried to sneak out of a nightclub through the restroom window to avoid paying the $3.50 cover charge. So this sounds like a reasonably they priced... They charge money to leave? Uh, no, well, she somehow somehow didn't pay the cover charge. Got Maybe it. she walked in and said, oh, I just have to use, you know, the, use bathroom the restroom. But first she danced eight dances. Now, I don't know the... Who knows? I don't know those facts. $3.50. She's always asking for more facts. Okay, okay. Anyway, problem is poor Kara. She's going through the restroom window, and doggone if she doesn't fall and knock out her two front teeth. Oh! So she sues the club. So you, Connor, get to decide who hmm. wins in this interesting... She's clearly, I mean, uh, okay, she wasn't uh, killing people, but nope. she was definitely stealing $3.50 from yeah. this poor nightclub. Yeah. So uh, who do you think was the victor in this Titanic legal battle? Titanic legal battle. You know, I think Karen gets her, her teeth fixed. I think people really uh, are sympathetic to, uh, to, to injured plaintiffs and uh, having like a nightclub as the defendant is not too... too uh, uh, not too appealing to people. They they probably will think, look, they 
they're probably saying probably owned by the mob. Yeah, they're probably owned by the mob, the mafia. <laughs> they probably have good insurance or mafia money, one way or another. Let's fix this lady's teeth. The Come irony on. is, Kara is married to a mobster, so that's a wow. It's a wash. I'm just kidding. If Kara, if you're out there, you're not married to a mobster that we know of. He divorced you years ago. Well. <laughs> So you're right, Connor. Yes. You did it. The jury awarded her $12,000 plus dental expenses. Love it. Yeah. So uh, it. that's ridiculous, though. It's idiotic. Uh, of course. I mean, she is clumsy and stupid and dishonest, and she gets money for well, that? Why I'm, is it their fault if, that she busted her teeth if out? If I were on the jury, I would force her to pay the three fifty dollars out of that $12,000. Easy. Yeah. Obvious. Okay. That would be a real compromise verdict. Yeah. Next week, Connor... Is our 100th No way Too Many Lawyers oh episode One hundred. We are going to have The most amazing surprises For the 100th episode Confetti uh, falling not, you're from not the believe ceiling it. Um, Connor, I'm going to be busy this next week Could you come up with some surprises? Because <laughs> nothing's coming to my mind But I'm sure right. there'll be some legal stories we can talk about So we'll see you again on number 100 Too Many Lawyers next week Have a great one I'm Roman Mars, host of 99% Invisible. I'm excited to be teaming up with Lexus GX and SiriusXM on some very special 99PI episodes. We're heading to some of the cities in the U.S. that have special meaning for me and exploring the ways that these cities marry form and function. To learn more about the Lexus GX and SiriusXM and Lexus vehicles, visit Lexus.com slash GX and SiriusXM.com slash Lexus Trial. The all-new Lexus GX. Live up to it. Check out the 99% Invisible feed now and listen to these special episodes. Can you remember a time when you thought someone you disagreed with might actually be right? In the new podcast, You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen pose that question to guests like Paul Ryan, Al Gore, and Judy Woodruff. Come for the stories, stay for the substance and expert insights into some of the most challenging issues facing the country, including affordable housing, crime, and education. Listen to You Might Be Right a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available wherever you get your podcasts.